to John chapter 1. First Sunday of the year, um, at least for the last couple years, I have been, I preach uh, usually a series that casts the, that the vision of our church, where we refresh the vision of our church, and how we gr- are grounded in the gospel of Jesus. And so to do this early, this first few weeks of the year, I'm going to refresh what our church stands for, what we are about. And so if you're not sure about Christianity or you want to know, what is this church about? You've come to a good time. But, and we're going to go through that through the first chapter, or at least the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. I've never preached on this text before, um, mainly because... I didn't think I was good enough to preach this text. It's, it's, it's a huge text. It is a tremendously important and literally history-changing set of words that we're going to look at today. And, of course, we can't look at all 18 verses today. Today we're going to focus on verses 1 through 5. And, but I want to let that known to you that we're, look, we're looking at today is tremendously important um, in this message that I've entitled The Gospel and the Word. The Word, which I, I, I wanted to call it, I thought about calling this message The Word about the Word. The Word about the Word made flesh. So let's go to the, the, the passage today. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. We talked about John the Baptist here. But he goes on. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. There's a touch of sadness there. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. May the Lord bless the reading of this Incredible word. Um, let, me, let me pray for today's message. Uh, I especially need prayer today. Father, um, I pray this many times, but especially today. Today I'm going to preach on something that 
that is that words can speak of, but they almost seem not good enough. That is so unspeakably glorious and important. And I pray that you would take this babbling fool with his babbling lips and you would give us the miracle of your grace. He would give us of your spirit and take these babbling lips and these babbling words speak of the glory of the word who is God himself and the word who became flesh so that we may be born of God. This proclamation, Lord, we call this the gospel. And this is what we stand for in a very dark place, in a very dark time, in a very dark city. And we pray that as this word is proclaimed, that the word made flesh would be exalted and your light would penetrate into the darkness of our minds and our hearts and shine light in our lives, to our neighbors, to our city, through our church. We pray this in Jesus' name. These, uh, these, especially these opening verses in the Gospel of John, just to give you a sense of the scope of these words, they literally have changed history. When the Bible was written, it, it came, especially this, this portion, that when this Gospel was written and the New Testament was written during the time that you know, we would like to call the Greco-Roman times. The Romans ruled the world. And they, they received a, an inheritance of culture and of intellect and of wisdom from the Greeks. And when we call this, they, it was called the Greco-Roman world. And, it, and during that time, they had a problem. A problem that we share today. And it was a problem of skepticism. Because the Romans conquered the world and they would meet people of all these different types of cultures. And they would meet this is the way you guys believe in God. And this is what you guys consider right and wrong. And here's how you do family. And here is how you do marriage. And here's how you put together God and meaning and truth and all these different types of things. And as they would meet one form of, 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 of the way people would speak and give of words and of cast a, a vision of the world, they began to say, well, then what's real? What's really true? And it was in this Greco-Roman world where they became very confused. What is really true? And when these verses came into this world, that there's a word, and this word was from God, this was absolutely shocking and revolutionary. It changed the world. And today I want to preach this. Uh, I want to preach this because this is what our church stands for. In another time, that is very that is starting to suffer much of the same problems, the problem of pluralism, the problem of many different cultures, the many of many different truths, as we like to say. Again, we need the word, which is about the word. I'm going to talk about this in three parts, as I usually do. Part one, I'm going to call it the problem of word and meaning, the problem of word and meaning. Part two. Calling it word and culture, the issues of word and culture, and part three, I'm going to call word made flesh. The word became flesh. Let's talk about the word and the problem of meaning. Um, 
You know, you, that, there, there are these group of people out there called philosophers. And philosophers are weird people. <laughs> because they ask questions that most normal people don't ask. They ask these odd questions. They just, because they're digging, digging, digging into the, into the meaning of it all. So as they ask questions, that kind of flip your mind. And you're looking at a person that, well, I, I'm like that. <laughs> I have this, I have that, that tendency too. And so passages like this I always find especially astonishing. It's remarkable to me that you have passages like this. Now, in, in order to, to get at this, um, the problem of word and meaning, um, the Greeks, the Greeks were the first people to really, they would travel the world and encounter all these different cultures. And it was the Greeks that began to actually start to philosophize and start to ask these deepest of questions. And they started to realize that there is a, there is a problem with the question of words. Of words and do the words that we speak, do they have a meaning? And a meaning which lasts and a meaning which we can get to that's something that is, we call the truth. Now, many of you probably realize that there are some words which last and some words which don't. Some words are just, we just use it today, and then tomorrow we're gone. Um, just, just, to, just to throw some of these. The Greeks realized there are words that transcend all the different cultures and all the different ways of things, and no matter what, in every place, that these words, they last forever. And... But some words, they just kind of just, just pass away. Let me, let, um, let me try to give you an example. Um, let me throw a word out there. That word is uh, Atari. Does anybody know what that word means? Atari? <laughs> There's a few of you know what that word Atari means. Um, that is a dying or almost dead word. That's a word. We used it. It was a useful word. It was a popular word. Uh, in my, in my childhood, that was a very important word to me. I, I assure you, the word Atari was a very important word to me. Now, some of you are going, like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm talking about a video game. Right? I'm talking about a video game system. That was a very important word to me as a child. I mean, let me give you another word. Um, candied corn. Anybody know what candied corn is? Is that a word you use? Uh, I, I, I said this in first service. And, um, and, and a few people raised their hands. They were all the older people. <laughs> and I could go to my children to say, hey, candied corn. They'll look at me like, what are you talking about, Dad? That is a word which is dying or almost dead because the, the reality to, to which the, the, those words refer to, we're not as interested in that anymore. Candied corn. So it's, it's kind of passing away. But the Greeks understood there's words like this. The beautiful. This isn't just another word. Beautiful. Good. True. Just. These aren't just words. These are not just words. Um, I was an English major, but I, I, I had forgotten who said this, but one, one, of the, one of the brothers in first service Educated me. Um, this really failing bad English major, um, guy named Shakespeare. You might have heard of him. Look, some this semi-famous guy named Shakespeare once said this this phrase: "A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet." Is that true? So you go to this 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 uh, this living plant, 
this plant that we call a rose, and you pluck it, and you sniff it. What if we called it the stinker? (laughs) Go pluck the stinker and give it a good whiff. Hmm, Would I enjoy it? Would you enjoy that? Because I called it the stinker. If I called it the stinker, would you enjoy what you just did there? Most of you are going, yeah, I think you would. Hmm. I think you... Let, let me... Um, a number of years ago, it was actually when I was a very young pastor. I, was a year, I don't know if many of you guys know, when I was first called to ministry, I was called to ministry in this church. So this, the Lord's called me back to this church. I mean, then I left and I came back. But when I was a very young pastor in this church... Um, I used to hang out with some of the teenagers, the youth kids. So I'm pastoring some of these guys now, actually, right? Um, but some of the teenagers, and when we're hanging out with them, they would, they would say things like this. Man, that movie is sick. <laughs> that was just sick. Dude, that was sick. And I started getting really confused. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with this child, right? You just said that that movie is sick, and I think you mean that it is cool, Sick means good. So sick means really good. Sick means so great that you have to have this crazy word for it, so you called it sick. I was like, oh, that's so weird. Um, But but I was thinking, this isn't really new. When I was a a boy, I I lived in Richmond, California. So when we first immigrated to the United States, we lived in, and I don't know if you know this, at least back, I don't know how it is today, back in Richmond was predominantly a black community. And if you hung out with other cool black kids and they said they thought something was to, to the word that we call cool, they would say, man, that guy, that football player, he is bad. That is one bad man. That song is bad. That movie was bad. That team is bad. That is, he is bad. And I, I would uh, pick it up and go around and say, well, that's bad. And that was bad. And I, you know, oh, I know, of course, you can do this. It's bad. And... And um, I had this friend, and he, and he was white. And I was hanging out with him, and his father was around listening to me say, this is bad. And he would look at me, and he was this little, this, this Asian kid. <laughs> and he's going, when you say bad, this, he, I still remember this conversation. The father looked at him and said, when you say bad, do you mean bad, or do you mean good? <laughs> is that bad, bad, or bad, good? And I laughed when he asked that question, I mean, I can remember this like it was yesterday, and I was just thinking, well, if you don't know, well, you don't know. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> and I didn't ask it. I didn't answer the question. Because in my mind, it's like, <laughs> if you have to ask that question, then you're just clueless. <laughs> and isn't that true? The, the, the reason I'm pointing this out is, you could use the word sick, or you could use the word bad, but what do we really mean? we really mean is it's really good. It's so good. It's great. It's so great that we have to use another word because good isn't like good enough. So we use this word. The word cool seems to last. That one seems to, I used that as a kid and then my kids are still using it. I'll be very curious to see if my grandchildren are still using it. But no matter what you call it, the good, the wonderfully good, the incredibly good, the surprisingly, beautifully, compellingly good, whether you call it sick or bad, it goes on. 
You hearing what I'm saying? We live in a time, we live in a time when, um, when people are very skeptical about the meaning of things. And they're skeptical about words. Because we live in a global community now where there's lots of different language. And people think, isn't it just language? Isn't it just words? Isn't it just words? Just the noise we signify to call stuff stuff. That's, that's what words is. It's, it's noise. Because we don't want to live a life where it's just we're quiet all the time. We're talking beings. We're to- social talking beings. And isn't that really all word is? And so we think different and if you, if you, I don't know if you realize this, that if you, without words, you can't actually understand life. That life lacks, doesn't have meaning if you don't have words. And so some people wonder, did man make language? Or did language make man? It's interesting. Just think about that question. If there's no such thing as language... Could we make sense of our life? There are some people who think, I just have all these experiences, and the experiences are the thing that's real. Let me tell you something. If you don't have words to tell you the meaning of what you experience, then you don't really know. Then your life is kind of formless. It's a chaos. You almost don't even have something that we call life. Hey, aunt, what did you just do? That food you're eating... The red ant you just defeated, did you defeat him? That defeat, that's a word. Is your life good? The ant has no words. Does he have a life, as we would call life? Without words, your life is actually meaningless. And a lot of us, we just think, you go to different cultures, and everybody's got their words, they got their bag. It's sort of like, like uh, our life is as something that we can construct and everybody has a different set of Legos. <laughs> and so we're all, we build our life with, we got our Legos and we use our words, but you go to these people, they got their Legos, and we got these people, they got their Legos. And who knows what's really real? What really lasts? What's really true? Because they got their Legos, and these guys, they got their Legos with their culture, their language, their religion. These guys got their Legos with their language, their culture, their religion. And we got ours. So, so what's really real? That's the place where we're at today. That is what, where the culture is running. Especially if you have gone, if you have, are college educated in the last 40, 50 years in America, maybe even further, further along that in Europe. Um, this, this is a big issue. Words... Words are just words. But that's a really deep problem because if words are just Legos that we can flick off, you know what happens? Maybe the words that you use to describe your life, maybe your life amounts to candied corn and Atari. Maybe this whole thing that we do, that we put together, that we call community and culture and life, it's all just a whole bunch, it doesn't mean anything much more than candied corn and Atari. And it's a really big issue. Let me ask you this. Uh, I'll th- I've been trying to think about in occasions, at times, where words are tremendously important. And it very much matters which words you say 
And those words are grounded in a meeting that lasts. So the occasion I, think, I thought about was a funeral. And what typically happens at a funeral? I mean, there may be certain rituals that people do, but primarily the most, one of the most important things that's done in the funeral are words are said. We call them eulogies. And if we put, put it in the, in the newspaper... I don't know, most of you guys don't read newspapers anymore. They're called obituaries. And if you go to a funeral, you typically hear something like this. He was a good man. And he loved his wife. And his children were really blessed by him and got his sense of humor. And he really was great to his neighbors. And he was good to the poor. And we wished others could be like him. And his spirit and all that he stood for will remain with us, even though he's no longer with us. That's the kind of thing you, you might often hear if you go to a funeral. I hope that's what you hear. If you go to a funeral, do you, do you usually hear something like this? He was a rat. He beat his wife all the time. He was an angry abusive person who kicked his kids constantly. He sent his dog onto my lawn on purpose. And he stole my stuff. And he was the most horrible co-worker I've ever had. I hate him. And it's good that he died. Good riddance. Those are very different words. Very, very different words. Does it matter which one you say at a funeral? It very, very much matters what you say at a funeral. If you say the wrong ones at a funeral, people will get violent. (laughs) But if you say the right ones at the funeral, people will weep. It'll give them a certain joy and a hope. See, words... Because those words, what are we doing? We're summing up the meaning of somebody's life. The meaning of life. We're talking about the meaning of life today, guys. And if you do not have a word which can endure, a word which is not an Atari word, it's a a word that lasts, that all the other words can be built upon. That we can have Legos, but we can build upon a word that lasts. If you don't have that, then life is just Atari. That's all your life is worth. And when that is the case, it's deeply problematic. You know what starts to happen? Young people today, they, they do drugs. They just sleep around. They get bored. They kill themselves. Why? Is it because they're so bad? It's because they don't know there's something worth living for. If you don't have a word that endures, what is worthy? See, that's a word too. What's worthy? What's of justice? What's of beauty? What's worth living for? What's worth dying for? And if you don't have anything worth living for and worth dying for because the word is just a Lego piece, then let's just have fun. 
We can have fun, but when the fun is over, what's the big deal if I kill myself? It's a big problem. The problem of word and meaning. Part two. Word and cultures. Now, I've already alluded to the problem. We actually have a word. (laughs) We have a word to this problem I'm talking about. When different cultures build their little Lego, they have they kind of kind of their Lego constructions, and then we go to another culture, and then they have their Lego constructions, and then we've tried all the different Lego constructions, and we're not sure if any of them are real, if any of them are true, if any of them are going to last. When this culture and all their Lego constructions die out, when all their Ataris and all their candy corns are gone, is there something that lasts and is true? And we're not sure what that is. We have a word. We actually see we have words for this. We have a word for this problem of uncertainty and of skepticism. We call that pluralism. It's just plural. We don't know of any one truth. It's just all plural. Plural cultures, plural truths. And we say this: way, You have your truths. I have my truths. I'm glad yours works for you. Let mine work for me. Let me tell you something. Whenever you hear somebody say that, their life they don't know. They're lost. A lot of people say that today. Even if they don't say it out loud, that's what they're thinking. It's kind of their way of saying, I really think that your Christianity stuff is BS. I don't really believe it. It's not really true. But I'm glad it works for you. Because, you know, I'm tolerant. I'm enlightened. You know? and, and I want to be a nice neighbor, which is a good, that is actually genuinely good. Right? But really what they're saying is, I'm not sure what's really meaningful, and I'm lost. They may be happy about it, but they have friends that are not happy about it. That's why they're losing themselves to drink or drugs or fun or death. The problem of pluralism. And it's because we check in on all the different cultures and we think that culture is just language and language is just words and language is just the building, it's just the Lego set. And, and culture... And then they concoct these Lego set that we call religion. And everybody's got theirs. And it's just a product of culture. Now, just to give give feel to this, I thought I'd I'd bring in a visual today. (laughs) To give you a a sense for the feel of this thing, I brought in a little book. It's actually a heavy book. Called History Alive, the Ancient World. This is my daughter's textbook. This is the history textbook that's used in the sixth grade in the Cupertino School District. And since I'm homeschooling my daughter this year, I've gotten quite familiar with this textbook. And um, I wanted to share with you a little portion on the question of word and culture. And this comes from chapter 15, and the name of the chapter 15 is Learning About Hindu Beliefs. It's only about 12 pages, and I found it remarkable that sixth graders can understand this, and they did a very good job. I actually think they did quite a good job. I've studied Hindu doctrine, and I thought, I can't believe it. They did it. In 12 pages, they distilled the most important pieces of the Hindu Lego, Lego blocks. And that's what we think it is. Most of us don't believe in Hinduism. You meet Indians, and they're like, well, they kind of just got there. Your truth works for you. In fact, actually, Hinduism believes that. Everybody's got their truths. Your truths, my truths. 
But let me tell you what some of the Lego blocks of Hinduism are. And this is, you know, give you, give you a little picture. No, I'm not trying to. Right? It's right here. Um, and I'm going to read about this. And I'll, just to give you a quick little, I'm going to talk about two words. One is called, and some of you have heard of this, but it's actually, some of you have heard this, and some people are starting to use this in our word in our culture, but it's actually foreign to our culture. It's the word karma. In order for you to understand karma, you also have to understand another Hindu word, which is dharma. Dharma means, so dharma stands for law, obligation, and duty. To follow one's dharma means to perform one's duties and so to live as one should. That's dharma. Okay? Now let me read the portion about karma because I'm going to give you, maybe give you a piece of the Hindu Lego block here. Okay? In Hindu belief... Karma explains the importance of living according to dharma. In Hindu belief, the law of karma governs what happens to people's souls after death. From ancient times, Hindus believed that souls had many lives. When a person died, his or her soul was reborn in a new body. But what type of body would the reborn soul get? The answer depended on the soul's karma. Karma was made up of all the good and evil that a person had done in past lives. If people lived well, they might be born into a higher class in the next life. But actually, we don't call it class. They're born into a higher caste. If they lived badly, they could expect to be reborn into a lower class, or caste, actually. They might even be reborn as an animal, or even a bug. For Hindus, the law of karma meant that the universe was just or fair. Souls were rewarded or punished for the good and evil that they had done. Karma also explained why people had a certain status in society. So here's how it plays out. We have an important word. It's called karma. This is part of the Hindu building blocks. Here's what karma means. In your life, you, honor your father and your mother, you get a little credit. You get a credit, you get a good credit on the Dharma side, on your, on your karma side. The Dharma is the standard. On the, you get a good credit on your karma side. You go out and you dishonor your father or your brother. Guess what? Boom. You get a bad demerit on your karma. You know where, how, where, how long this lasts? Forever. You know how long this lasts? You know that 10 lifetimes ago, if you got angry at your dad and cussed at him, that's still in your karma. That's still on your karma. So you got to do, I don't know how many you got to (laughs) do to balance this thing out. And so, next life, bug for you. And in the Hindu view, everything is fair. So we don't really believe this in, 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 the, in the modern West. We believe things are incredibly unfair. The world is incredibly unfair. Life is unfair. But that's not what Hindus think. Hindus think life is fair. So today, if you're violating dharma left and right, and you're poisoning your karma, well, your next life, you'll be a born as an untouchable. 
So I, I actually explained this on the first service. As a, in our society, we call them ca um, class. You can go from lower class to middle class to upper class to, I don't know, super elites. You can move. You can go from one to the other. In fact, you can go from upper class to lower class. You lose all your money, and lot, all of a sudden your friends change, all this other stuff. But that's not how caste works. Caste is this. They have a caste that they literally call untouchable. That means if you touch this person, you become defiled. You become dirty. You actually violate your own karma. You get a demerit in your karma bank if you touch this person. And so people spit on these folks. They reject them. They're dying. They're sick. They're poor. They're starving in the middle of the streets. Nobody cares. Why? Because they deserved it. They were bad in their last life. They're getting what they deserve. In my past life, I was good. That's why, that's why I have money. That's why my family's good. I'm not in that caste. And so, this is the way their society works. Their culture. Now, we're very enlightened people today. So we say, that's their truth. I'm glad their truth works for them. Are you? If a modern Western person were to go to India and see how the karma, dharma, Hinduism system actually works out, because those words, they take those words quite seriously. If they, how they work out. You could say with your lips, well, that's just their truth. I'm, I'm glad it works for them. That's not, that's not my thing. But actually, probably you'd be incredibly disturbed by it. You might be incredibly offended by it. I would hope, actually, that you would be highly disturbed by it. There's masses of poor, dying people in the streets, and nobody cares. There's no welfare state. There's no charities out there helping these folks. They deserved it. Is that just a truth, their truth versus our truth? Is it? And yet, this is what we're saying in our society. It is a deep problem. Now, I don't want to just, that sounds like we're just being very arrogant about their culture. Let's, let's, let's talk about our culture here now, okay? In our culture, we have a whole bunch of habits about how we treat people and what's just. See, that's a word. What's justice? What's a good society? That's a word. Good. And, but we're not sure if that's not just our own. That's just our, just our Lego blocks. Anything that we got from any kind of religion in our society, that's just a bunch of Lego blocks. So since we're not sure what is the real thing, what is a word that transcends, the Greeks thought there are certain words that are eternal. They called them the good and the true and the beautiful. But that's just our good and our true and our beautiful. Is, is there any such really eternal good? So since we're not even sure, you know what method we use in order to adjudicate this, this problem? this huge intellectual, this questions, this piece of skepticism, we use science. That's what we use. We're going to run this experiment. Hey, you Chinese guys, you can, use, you can run the experiment too. Indians, you can run this experiment too. We're going to run this experiment 10,000 times. And if it keeps coming out a certain way, 
we're, I think after a while, we can be sure that this is not just a Lego building block that's going to become tomorrow's Atari. This is true. <laughs> it goes beyond all culture. Science. This is how we will get beyond just the fact that every culture just looks like they got Legos. But let me tell you something. If you think science can explain and be the word under all words, let me tell you something. That's our form of Lego blocks. <laughs> That's our religion and our mythology. Because when you get to a funeral, who are you going to call? Hey, Mr. Scientist, Mr. PhD with chem- in chemistry. My, uh, my uncle just died. Would you come and show us and come and tell us something that will help make what his life was all about meaningful? Would you come and do this for us? Of course you're not going to do that. Why? Because science can't do that. As long as... Actually, it's, it's, it's even interesting. There's actually a word that describes the people that are trying to make science do that. If science is going to tell us the ultimate meaning of all things, there's actually a word that's described. It's called scientism. It is the religion in which science is going to give us all the Lego blocks, the ultimate Lego blocks. It's not true. That's the way we do it out here. Ultimately, what we're seeking is you can't just go to every culture. and You can't even do it through science. Because science is just incompetent when it comes to words like true and just and beautiful and mercy. I don't, I don't know what these words... Science can't give you any better answer. For Somebody else has to take you to this. The problem of truth and culture. All right, Pastor. Um, big weird sermon you're giving here today. Where do we get to the truth? Well, it's right here. In the beginning was not a word. It was the word. A word which lasts. Which is the ultimate word. And you know what? It's not, it's not a word. It's actually, it's God. And this word, this was the thing that was so shocking to the to the Greco-Roman intellectuals of the New Testament. They were saying, well, we believe in something called justice, but it's just some word that's out there, but I don't know if we could ever really, really know it. And they read John chapter 1, and it said this, the word was God, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. He came into this world. He wasn't just out there. He wasn't just above. He wasn't just some idea out there. The word which undergirds all word, the most eternal word, which gives all our life meaning, he broke into this world and dwelt among us so that he would push away our darkness and he would shine a light and we would know this all the stuff we're doing, it's not just sound and fury with nothing that signifies, just noise until we die. But actually, 
It's a word which lasts. This is a, there's a passage here. This is, verse, this is verse 12 and 13. It says, He, the Word, the Word who became flesh, gave the right to become children of God. To be born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. You get it? Hear what it's saying. There was a word. The word that says, I'll let you be born into a new life. Your life will be based upon a word which will not make your life meaningless. Because if all you are is you were born of blood, you were born of a particular ethnicity. Born of the flesh, a certain people's way of doing things, the Lego set. Or of the will of man, man-made meaning. Man-made meaning. But instead, you'll be born of God. You'll be born of the word which was with God. The word made flesh came in so you can be a child of God to be born of the word which would last forever and light would streak into your life forever. That is what he came for. That's the promise of this passage. You know, this is, this is, this is the time we're living in today. Um, people are wondering, why are so many people so hopeless and so cynical and treat their neighbors like and use and use and abuse people, you know. And and we're looking for people. Oh, the word that we use today is we want authenticity. Authenticity. You know what that is? That's another way of saying something below the Lego blocks. I don't want candied corn. I want to meet people whose lives are not just candied corn. I want to meet somebody that when they treat me with kindness and say that they love me, that's authentic. In other words, it's not Atari. It's real. It's going to last. It's true. You really love me. And it's love, not just the way we made it up. It's not love, man-made love, born of man. It's love of God, something eternal and real. And where is the pathway to this thing? It's only through the Word made flesh. And you know his name. His name is Jesus Christ. This is what we proclaim at this church. First Sunday of the year, I want to plant the banner nice and strong. This astounding passage, it still needs to be heard. The, the Greco-Roman skeptics of San Jose need to hear this yet again. Right? These hearts. So that Christ would shine his light into this darkness that's around us. And it says... The darkness has not overcome it. Let me tell you, let me promise to you, the darkness will never overcome it. Jesus will never be overcome. The gospel, which is the word about the word, will never be overcome. You live within this gospel, you live in the light. You are living according to a life which is given to you to be born of God, not just of man-made Atari pieces. The gospel... It is more than anything because it takes you to the Word, the Word made flesh. So this first Sunday, let me proclaim this to you. And uh, you place this to your heart. And we're going to eat this Word. And uh, trust that this odd ragtag group of people that we call this church, San Jose New Hope Church, that when the Word, 
shines into us that we call the gospel and we proclaim the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, a light and a life will shine into our city and to our neighbors and into us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Because you gave us a right through the Word made flesh to be children of God, children of God forever. To live of the light, not in the darkness of our skepticism, not in the darkness of our hypocrisy when we secretly look down upon people, but outwardly we like to say, I'm glad your truth works for you, even though we think your truth is nonsense. Lord, in the meantime, the truths that we think we cling to, we're not even sure if they're real truths. Lord, take this this society that's crumbling in darkness, the darkness with where all around us we think all we have are Atari pieces and candied corn. Would you bring forth justice and mercy and love and beauty and joy and peace and patience and kindness through Jesus, the Word made flesh? Would you give this to us and call forth a whole new set of people? We want to, I want to pray particularly for the young people today who are up in our mountain, our young people. Their, their lives are hanging in the balance, especially there's a whole generation of young people today. There's tremendous lostness and darkness and skepticism. And I pray that you would call them to life, call them to light through Jesus. And you would do a work through our church and in our community and in our city, a light start to beacon out from, from this church, from our worship and our proclamation of the gospel. Would you, Lord Jesus, come and shine your light to us. Promise in your name. Amen.